Hey, how you doing? It's Clayton here from HowToDrawComics.net, and today I'm joined by co-hosts Rick Bulo and Ed Foychuk. And in this episode, what we're going to be talking about is art teachers, our experience back in art school and and high school of course that's when i had my probably my first and only real art teacher and then we're going to talk a little bit about what we took from that both the things that we did like and that we didn't like and how we use that in our own career as teachers because as it turns out we all are teachers in one way or another who teach the craft of comic book illustration which is pretty darn awesome um, and how we use that experience to make sure that we're offering the best possible delivery on the education that we give to our own students and how we make it so that they actually see real results in their own work, a noticeable upgrade in their skill set. All right, so where I'm going to start this today is by talking <laughs> a little bit about my own experience uh, back in art class and... I remember that one of the coolest things about it was the community between me and the other students. You know, everyone would kind of go into the art room at lunchtime and during class, and we would kind of chill out and sketch away in our sketchbooks. But as far as actual education went, there wasn't a whole lot of it. It was more like, um, I, I guess, the, the art teacher babysitting us, essentially, for a couple of hours whenever we had art class. And then that was about it. But, um, yeah. And this was, this was high school, right? Yeah, this was in high school, right? Okay. And, okay. and I'm sure you guys had similar experiences, Ed and Rick. Uh, for me, you know, high school, I don't know. You know, is, there's a whole lot of teenage angst going on at that time, too, and all that kind of rebellion and stuff. So I often felt, uh, it, whether it was art class or any class, but especially in art class, I really wanted to do my thing. You yeah. know, I wanted to draw. I wanted to, you know, do it. And they were like, well, no, you have to recreate the Mona Lisa or you have to do this or something. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not interested in that. You know, I, I want to do this. And in retrospect, looking back, I get it because that would have helped me uh, get a, more experience in different mediums. Like, you know, working with pastels, working with oil paints, whatever and stuff, right? Acrylics. Totally. And I just wanted to have my little big pen in my hand that I was doodling in every other class and exactly what I was carry using. that <laughs> carry that forward and like woohoo I finally don't get in trouble for doodling in this class and I still got in trouble for it right so but you know you reminded me about the community thing I remember that like our class was cool in that uh, you can go in lunchtime or sometimes after school and there was still people you know working on their projects and stuff and it was it had a different atmosphere than a lot of the other classes and stuff. So I, I do remember that part of it was the, the community feeling behind it. Yeah, totally. What about you, Rick? Well, I had the, I had the, probably the worst teacher ever. Like, so imagine this is an art teacher, huh? Yeah. Cool. Like, imagine a depressing and hateful Bob Ross. <laughs> and I th- no, literally, that's that's basically how he was because he talked as slow as Bob Ross, but he talked really depressed and angry all the time. And did he, did he have a big afro? No, like, no, no. It 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 seemed like it had fallen down and died on his shoulders. What <laughs> an afro, just long, greasy, ugly hair. But and you couldn't talk to him at all about. 
something different, a different uh, way of doing art than his way, or else he, you could see in his eye he was wishing that he was still able to hit his students. If you talk about it. He was That's so funny. mad. It took, I, was, I was there for like only half, half a year, and then I said, fuck it, I'd rather just... Get caught I, I just get caught drawing it doing my math classes instead or something like that because that right. wasn't worth, worth it. I didn't learn squat personally from my from my teacher. Sounds like so, one heck of a cranky art teacher. Makes makes he you was. wonder sometimes how do these people become high school art teachers, right? Like that's often been my, my, my wonder, right? I, yeah, I gotta totally. be I got a feeling this guy they were sitting at the teacher's lounge and like okay guys we need someone to pretend to be a teacher for art because according to according to the country we have to have a class like that so let's rock paper scissors this decision and just take it and then it was the school then it was the school mascot that got picked or something like that <laughs> could be could be <laughs> could be yeah i think it's i think it's got a lot to do with just having that piece of paper that says you're qualified as a teacher, um, which often doesn't translate in terms of being an actually good teacher and also able to practice what you preach at the same time. And that, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's been something me and my other colleagues have been talking about around the, you know, the, the lunch table at school recently. You know, there's all these uh, regulations and stuff that they're bringing in. I probably shouldn't be saying too much, actually. But <laughs> they are bringing in these new regulations where you kind of have to, you know, link up your uh, your previous experience with the, the units that you're teaching in your classes and, and that kind of thing. And that is all good and well, and I can see why they're doing it. It's obviously going to iron out a lot of, uh, I guess, frauds, you could say, who are teaching stuff that they really know nothing about. But at yeah. the same time, um, a lot of these you know, outlines and, and official units that are being taught actually don't have any real tangible connection with the, the actual industry that they're supposed to be teaching students about. Um, and it, it'd be almost like if you had someone teaching you about uh, comic book illustration who hadn't, who, who was preparing the the lesson plan for you, but had no real, had no experience doing comic book art in the first place, and oh, had never sure. really hung out with any other comic book artists, didn't read comic book artists, essentially knew nothing about it, but had like you know the the kind of um, I guess the main points that needed to be learned about, but you know, put but the things that really didn't impact your abilities in any great way, unfortunately. Sure. So, you, yeah. You know, I think I'm gonna. We're probably gonna bash a lot of our old teachers in here and stuff, and so that's probably gonna be eighty percent or ninety percent of what we're saying. I'm looking forward to do it. That's my view. I'm, I'm gonna stick up for them in one way, and this one way is pretty important in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went to university, I was going to get an ed degree, right? And uh, so I have a lot of friends that finished in education and went on to teach. And one of my good buddies is a high school art teacher and stuff, right? And we all know that every municipality, every state, province, whatever, whatever school board it is, they have their own levels of bureaucracy, right? Oh. So, <clears throat> so what will happen to my buddy and what I'm sure happens to a lot of teachers, and maybe even Rick's teacher is like, maybe Rick's teacher, the, 
the angry Bob Ross dude, maybe he was a, at one point an awesome math teacher. And then somehow he subbed, got some experience doing art, do you know what I mean, or whatever. And then the, the bureaucracy of it all said, well, we need an art teacher. We, we have 10 math teachers, so you're heading in there. And that's what often happens to these teachers is they're put into areas that is not their number one, not their number two, but maybe their number five choice or it's somewhere down on their experience list. And then they're like, okay, well, I got to make the best of it, but, you know, it's not their forte, right? Yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah. And So yeah. blame the bureaucracy sometimes, I think. Yeah, it is. The bureaucracy, the bureaucracy has a lot to do with it. And it's, um, it's enough to make you as a teacher want to go, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go into like, you know, one-on-one -on -one mentoring or something because this sure. is, this system is just, you know, a lot of the time it's not in the best interest of, of the student or the teacher and the delivery of their information. At least that, that's what it's starting to look like. It's kind of more about getting students in and out almost like they're on a, some kind of conveyor belt or something. It's There's a lot well, of money that, involved in that kind of thing. Isn't that what we call public school, basically, right? <laughs> pretty <laughs> much, pretty much. You know, that's, unfortunately, though, that also then sometimes in some way morphs into community college or, yeah. or local colleges where, the again, it's, it's this churning. It's like, okay, well, they're paying in, they've got to get this many credits, and then they're getting out, but... What's the job placement rate? You know, what are the, what are the achievements and stuff? And that's where it gets into, it, it starts to bear a similarity to public school, I think. Oh, yeah, big time. And that's what should really matter in the end is, are you as a student walking out of that classroom with a, a, a new skill set that you right. can use to achieve the things that you want to achieve now? And if the right, answer right. is no, then, uh, man, you, you got to find... This is why I always say, like, the, the online courses that are out there are probably going to be way more beneficiary official and get you further ahead in a faster amount of time than actually sitting in a classroom unfortunately and it really does mm -hmm. depend on the teacher because they are good teachers out there 100 percent of the time we yep. all taught in a classroom before and i'd like to think that we take our job seriously and that what drives us is the rewarding feeling of being able to genuinely help our students and, and see them grow and see them evolve in their skill sets. Yep. And I'm going to toss this in here. When it comes to education, you know, like when I was learning how to teach, one of the hugest takeaways from, from me was everybody learns differently, right? So yeah. some, some students need to, their hand held and, and uh, walked through it all, need uh, a buddy sitting beside them to do it. Some students just need to hear it once. Some students need to see it. You know, there's, there's all these different inputs and they affect us different ways and stuff, right? So video or online teaching might be a great resource for some. It is for me. I love it, you know, because I could pause, rewind, pause, rewind, do yeah. it, you know, do it. But not for everybody. Some of them need, like, that hand on the shoulder and say, hey, this is what you're doing and stuff, you know. And, and so I recognize that each student... Uh, is going to need different things, right? And as teachers, we've got to recognize what those needs are. Totally. I actually use, uh, I actually, to some of my students, uh, I, 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 I work with, uh, with uh, young people with a bad past more than people that actually might want to become a professional artists. So my, yep. the people I, I teach might be a bit different than 
the people you you guys teach you guys teach probably teach people that really wants it i teach people that needs it you know in yeah. a way to get away from their life but yep. they need to be taught differently as well some people need to be taught by being let outside and do it on their own and li just listen to music and be on the, be on their own and i'll go out and check in on them from now on again others needs to just sit <coughs> sit i use progo a lot in my teachings oh, the yeah. free youtube videos yeah because he's awesome right stan yanko or whatever it is yeah yeah. yeah yeah he's got yeah. great videos amazing I use him. I use him a lot because easy to understand and one click and you and you get started. Some people need that, and then I have the time when I can do that to some people. I have the time to be close to the people that really needs the one-on-one -on -one se uh, uh, one -on -one sessions. Yeah, so it's cool. uh, and and that's what changed. I think from when I when I was in school, it's become more teachers have most. Good teachers have become more aware of their students and their needs rather than my way or the highway, like uh, Angry Bob, Bob Ross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Angry Bob Ross. I like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and I, I think as well, it is that, that sense of community. Like, when I think about the reasons that I'd go back to study, it it's definitely one of the most enticing parts about it is you get to be around people, like-minded individuals who are all on the same mission as you are. And I think that that is probably the one thing that you don't get so much when it comes to the online learning aspect, which is why right. um, with Proportions Course, Ed, uh, I actually included that aspect of it where, hey, you could become part of the virtual comic art classroom and like, you know, be part of a group where there were other students that were taking this stuff seriously, share your work, get the feedback, etc. Um, so cool. I, th I think it's just with these different forms of learning now, there it requires a, a broader range of approaches to teaching the content and also coming up with new ways that you can create that additional level of connectivity, not just between you and the student as a teacher, but also between the students so that they can bounce ideas off of one another and help one another grow. That's a great idea, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I should make sure I... Do you mind if I uh, piggyback on that? No, yeah, <laughs> with totally. My anatomy, ahead, with my anatomy course, I should be uh, steering people in, in towards that uh, the virtual group there as well. Virtual comic yeah, classroom, totally, man. Right, right, right. If I tell us a month, then he'll be happy to allow you. <laughs> cool. No, but, but I actually have a question here because when you were when you were in classes as well, have you have you felt the change of the way teachers are teaching students as well as in the same way that I quickly mentioned that I have that it's not my way or the highway as much more as it has been? Was it was it was it like that for you guys when you were when you were being taught in classes? Just in general that it that it was the teacher's way or no way at all. And now it's more like, okay, let's work together to find the best way to teach you. Has that changed where you're from? Because I know it differs also from country to from continent to continent in the way people teach, but yeah, I'm gonna, okay. So my experiences are going to be like way all over the board here. 
I was in public school in a really rough neighborhood in Canada, as rough as Canada can be, you know, wow. where they didn't say sorry very often, basically. Right? Oh, no. <laughs> and so the teachers in, in that type of system, especially in that particular school and stuff, uh, we had generally only uh, 50%, 60% graduation rate and stuff, you know. So they were just really happy to get students in the seats and not killing each other, not hurting each other and stuff. So I think uh, the the goals um, were very different in the school that I grew up in and stuff. Like a lot of the artists, like for me, I was uh, I was given credits to paint the sports murals or something like that, you know, the team murals and everything. Um, it was a, they were already starting to be kind of creative because they, they knew they had to hold on to students. Otherwise, they were, they were losing them and stuff, right? Um, but I've also, uh, I went back and taught in that high school, actually, and in the, the middle schools in that neighborhood. And then I've also taught in other public schools uh, at kind of a university level, at, in private high schools, international schools and also one-on-one tutoring and online now. And I guess what I'm saying is, like, I think if you were to take one system, like one city, one school, you might see progression over that. But for me, for all of my experiences that are kind of spread, like, all over the place, I I found that often the teachers were just doing the best with what they had in front of them. Like, if if it was behavior kids, you know, and they they would work on that. Do you know what I mean? Like, the teachers... You know, you always got the old fogies or whatever, the people that will never change or just putting in the time to retirement and stuff like that. But a lot of teachers cared. They just, it was whether they had the resources available or not. And so, like, you know, in private schools, um, they were able to take kind of more advanced techniques and really delve into it because they had the support of the parents. In in the crappy public schools, uh, you know, the parents were nowhere to be found. Maybe the teachers were instead spending some of those resources on buying food for the kids or something, right? Yes. So, you know, I, I, I can't say that I saw progress, but what I did see was teachers trying, but really limited to the, the scope that was around them and stuff, right? Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, totally understandable. And and I think that that does present an interesting perspective on it as well, just the fact that there's going to be different age groups that are going to have a range of students within them that um, are going to learn at different paces, they're going to have different levels of focus, and they're going to be there for different reasons. And I do remember when back when I was going to primary school and high school and uh, even college for a bit later on, it was kind of the case where you were just really there because you had to be somewhere and you couldn't sure. really just wag school, right? So you weren't that motivated to pursue any one thing in particular. You just kind of did the work that you were given. I guess it wasn't yep. really until later on where you know we I enrolled in a course that I was actually interested in at university and you know, really, when I really started trying and committing to the things that I was trying to learn. And at that point, that was video games design, but I was definitely more interested in the visual side of it, so the character design, the environment design, and that kind of thing. And it was funny in that course because there wasn't really any official art teacher within it. There was kind of, you know, the, the visual design guy who taught us the the footnotes essentially of what we needed to consider you know how to find reference material and create reference libraries and stuff but as far as 
uh, technique actually went. We didn't really get a teacher like that until later on. And by that point, I had almost graduated and I actually started working with him on, on some game project. But um, it, at the time when I was going there, because there wasn't that kind of level of uh, education I needed in the areas that I really wanted to get good at, where did I go? I went straight online, and yeah. I did jump onto sites like the Gnomon Workshop, which was probably the biggest one back then. And yep. uh, some of the teachers would even let us borrow some of these digital courses that they had bought for themselves, which was yep. kind of cool, right? Um, and I remember... Because they're expensive. Yeah. Some of those oh, Gnome or Genome courses are like hundreds of dollars. Absolutely. And it was yeah. funny because not every student in the classroom would actually take them home and check them out and uh, follow the tutorials on those digital courses. But I did. And I remember how much of an edge it gave me over the, the, the competition. I essentially seen every student back then as, as competition. They were my friends, but they were also competition at the same time. Sure. Sure, um, sure. And I'm sure that they saw me as competition. Uh, back then <laughs> healthy competition you know motivating i think that yeah. you can have that level of competition where it kind of drives you to succeed just a little bit more than the next guy which i think is never a bad thing but yeah. you know it was it was super cool and that's when i really felt like hey there's there's power here in these courses they're like yeah. it's like neo learning kung fu in the matrix right it's like a little just a little download that gets plugged in and all of a sudden you've got this new skill set that you're able to wield. Something which I thought was incredibly powerful. You know, so I thought you know it was... Oh, go ahead, Rick. Sorry. So you know Kung Fu, Clayton? Uh, <laughs> I know many things. Not Kung Fu. <laughs> Art Fu. Art Fu, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's but, interesting that you brought that up about the different types of students and what they were there for. You know... Even if, for example, if it's in high school or university or whatever, we can think that, well, they chose my course. They signed mm -hmm. up. It's in the course description. They're, they're passionate about this art class or whatever it is. But the truth is, sometimes it's like the lesser of the evils, right? Like they're like, okay, well, I need a couple credits. And, mm -hmm. geez, I could either run laps for, <laughs> for yeah, 50 totally. minutes or I can sit in class and, and doodle and, you know, art was always an easy grade or something like that. So, you know... Unfortunately, not every student that signs up, whether it's in primary, secondary, or even you know post-secondary education, is really passionate. You said in your in that course that the instructors offered, you know, hey, I got this gnome workshop or whatever. Yeah. I paid three hundred dollars. You can get it for free. <laughs> Just go ahead and download it, or here's a file. And yeah. maybe only you know a couple people took them up on that. Totally they just right. weren't that passionate in it, right? And and that's that's even for free, right? So. Yeah, I think that we've got to recognize that there's a broad spectrum of students and their enthusiasm and their interest, right? Yeah, big time. I actually, I actually did that with your with your class uh, with your course at. Like, You're giving it uh, away for free? What's going on just here? Just a week back. No, <laughs> no, I was I was offering it for free, and the three period, uh, three and nobody four, took it. That's yeah, three or four students, uh, three three or four students took it, and two of them came back and said they had actually either bought it or considered really strongly considered it and waited for for having the money to buy it because oh, cool. i always cool. end up saying i always end up saying take a look at this if you like it please support it because 
he's he's a friend even though he's Canadian. So Paul is Ken. Nice, nice. Well, I appreciate that, man. And you know, that's what I hope is like we were just talking about the some of those courses, and geez, some of them run like hundreds of dollars. And I get it because yeah. listen, these guys are slick, you know, and the course is well done, and and they deserve to get paid for what they're doing. But I think what happens then is for one class for three hundred dollars, you you price so many students out of that market. Like there's just these, these people that want to learn, but they're like, they can barely afford the internet or, you know, they're in, in countries where, you know, $10 us is a day's wages or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and how, how are you going to tell somebody to, you know, you got to pay this much money for this course. So I, I hope that, um, whether it's Clayton or mine's courses or anything at how to draw comics and stuff that we were pricing it with the, everybody in mind that hopefully being fair I mean, to everybody yeah i mean my students both with clayton's and yours is surprised how cheap it is because they're used to having to uh, having to almost uh, sell their whole family in order to get courses right so right, right. When, when i when i said well it's only this and that they were just like what oh i'm getting that as soon as i get home then it can't yeah, be I that cool. and then they said it can't be that cool when it's only that when you start cheap, and I'm like, well, the chances are the the most expensive ones. Why they're so expensive is more of because of the name that teaches them than than the than what you actually learn. Give a, give give Ed and Clayton a chance, and you'll see what I mean. And usually they come back and say, huh, I actually learned more. Yeah, you know, it's almost. I think we covered this in a, another podcast, the Comic Con one or something. We were talking about uh, drawings, you know. <laughs> Just because you're paying twenty dollars for a head sketch versus two thousand from Jim Lee, you know, yes, Jim Lee's awesome, and we all love him, and yes, he's great. But sometimes you can get some pretty good deals for twenty bucks, right? And I think you 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 got to shop around. And here's the next flip on it: is that just like before, I said we've got different students with different needs. Not every student is going to match every teacher. And even as a teacher, listen, I love all my students. I'm passionate about them, and I hope I can help them. But I realize I'm not the best teacher for every one of them, that some of them are going to require different things that I'm maybe not able to provide, right? And so I hope that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to help. But I realize that, listen, maybe Bobby Chu or, uh, or, or somebody else is, oh, yeah. is better matching for them, right? Yeah, totally. Bobby Chu is awesome as well. He's got a a great little uh, setup with schoolism, and um, I know right. that you know he he really cares about his students. You can tell in his videos, and I think a lot of these guys do. You know, like Cubebrush as well, Mark Brené. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he was working at Blizzard before, but he left to start this website, Cubebrush, because he enjoyed teaching people more than the actual um, you know the actual trade that he had learn these skills for in the first place yep. yep so you know i think and in saying that i kind of i guess hinted at this at the start of the episode when i was talking about you know being able to practice what you preach well it's important to definitely have the skills so you can show the students hey you know what this is the kind of work i do and i'm hoping that by the end of this course what you're going to be able to do is something similar, right? Like here's yeah. the direction that we're headed in. And I think that's right, so right, important. Right. It's one of the first things I do when I walk into a classroom. I get my portfolio on the projector and I say, hey, here's the work I do. Here's a bit about my experience. If you like what you're seeing on the projector, then you're probably going to enjoy this class, right? Um, and, and, so, and that's yeah. that's one of the bigger differences than 
you know, a high school teacher, for example, a high school art teacher, mm. they don't have to pitch themselves. Uh, and generally, often they can't. You know, they might not have a portfolio. They might have studied art history instead or something like that. And so they're coming in with theory and lots of time, not a lot of application. You know I mean, they don't have experience in the industry or anything. And yeah. so the students are going to walk away a little bit weaker because of that, I think. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And in saying that, the skill of teaching is also extremely important. So you kind of have to have yep. both. And it's you really got to remember that there's two separate abilities that you've got to yep. develop. And I think that you put it perfectly when you said that you've got to, like, there's so many different personalities when it comes to the kind of students that you're dealing with and the way that they learn. You know, some people are more visual. Some are more um, auditory. Some some yep. need to get a bit more hands-on. And even beyond that, some some students, some personalities are just going to naturally do the and question the, the what it is that you tell them. They're going to do, go in the opposite direction sometimes just because that's how they work. Um, they got to figure it out for themselves. They don't like being told how it's done. So you've got to kind of cater for that difficult learning style. Um, there's some who who are more um, internally referenced than externally referenced, which means they're going to make up their own conclusions in their mind rather than taking on your own. And so sure. there's, there's a lot of things at play here as to how susceptible a student is to you and how you best cater the information you're giving them in a way that's going to be most effective. Absolutely, man. Yeah, way, yeah. way to put it, man. That sounded great. Yeah, you got to put that in a course somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to. <laughs> Teach the teachers. <laughs> T- teaching course. Um, yeah, right. But yeah, totally. And and that's that's what I mean. Like You really hit the nail on the head where you're not going to be for every student and not every student is going to be for you. And that that is one of the reasons why in the copy of the proportions course when I released it, I was like, hey, you know, don't take this course if you're not really serious about it because you're going to buy it and you're just going to be disappointed because you're not going to commit enough to it in order to see results. And right. so I think being upfront like that as a teacher and really telling students how it is and the truth of it is so important in terms of being able to establish that trust and rapport that's actually going to allow you to connect with them enough to to give them the the information that you want them to have and for them to use it so for me oh go ahead rick sorry you also need to get the students excited before they even even before the class even probably begins because if you don't get them excited at first they'll get into the room not not know what to expect and then and you and if you just start drilling on uh, at first without them even knowing who you are and what you can offer. Well, it, it, the mindset will all, uh, already be different there. So selling yourself in the, you spent the first hour of the, of the, of the whole thing, of the whole year to just really sell yourself and what you're going to offer them during the, the school year. I think that can change everything for, for a student. Well, again, it depends on what kind of class, you know, like uh, I recently did some uh, guest classes at a, at a high school here and, um, you know, luckily I was introduced. So you, I either sell myself or what happens is the, the established instructor sells me for them. They're like, okay, well, we've got a guest lecturer today and they introduced me and a bit of my resume and stuff like that and use that as a launching board. But I think, um, you know, when it comes to having a, 
a class physically in front of you is a little bit different than online too, because then we get into classroom management skills, right? Oh, Being yeah. able to control uh, 10, 20, 30 or more people and have them rolling through something. Like I, I made the mistake one time of, of having a teaching Photoshop. <laughs> right. Now, okay, I'm pretty decent in Photoshop, right? I'm, I'm quite good. but And I could probably teach a couple people, but in a class of 12 or more, they had me running, man. You know, yeah, like being able to manage that class and, and for them going step by step and nobody going two steps ahead and then sinking themselves into something that I was having troubles backing them out of and stuff, right? Like, yeah. um, so being able to manage the classroom and having uh, classroom management techniques that fit that, uh, that demographic, that whether it's an age group or whatever it is, uh, yeah, that's also a skill. And so that's, those are those teaching skills that we're talking about. So for me, I enjoy like the online teaching, the one-on-one or whether it's class or like the video stuff, because, um, I feel like I'm almost teaching myself. I'm pitching to who I imagine the student to be type of thing, but teaching a group is a, you know, has a lot more dynamic energy to it and stuff you really you bring it in and you you it's almost like conducting a symphony you you know yeah. you're you're getting them to stand getting them to sit you're moving your hands you know you've got all these things going on and and that's a different type of energy and stuff and i enjoy it too it's just a different skill set yeah i i, I enjoy it as well it. yeah i've been afraid i've been afraid of actually trying to start teaching on online to be honest because i when when I see it, I already always imagine you just you just sit and sit alone, and you don't get any immediate responses. And as a teacher, immediate responses, especially in my view, is really important. So going online, yeah. going online, you only you first get those responses when when people have actually bought your product and gone through it, which can take everything between. A few days or, or weeks, depending on how fast they are, so we're going through it and learning from it. So, so that's well, really that's really always helped me back in, in even trying because I want that immediate response I see on people on the students' faces when it really clicks for them and they go, ah. I mean, isn't that that's 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 the look we are looking for, isn't it? The, the, that when we see a student go, ah, that's that, like. We explain something for them that they've been really struggling with, and it just hits them, and they go, "Ooh!" So you know, that, you know how I solved that, Rick, yeah. uh, was the the lessons that I taught online are the ones that I've taught already in the classroom or in person. So you know, like I kind of built up my ah energy or whatever, like the realization and all those things, and and all the questions that came with it, with with me teaching. I'm like, okay, well, this is how you know this muscle inserts or this is the structure or this is the form and these types of things. And, and the questions that the students have been asking me for the last few months or whatever, I already built up, you know, those answers and everything. So as I was bringing it online, it's, it's, it's basically bringing all that experience from the classroom into the lesson and stuff. So part of that experience and stuff has been the feedback from it, the, the enthusiasm, the good and the bad, you know, if they're like, Hey, I didn't get this or that. I brought it all into the online class and stuff, right? So that's something to think about is like take take your lessons that you've already succeeded and you've seen succeed, then they succeeded because of the feedback you got in person. Take that online. Yeah, totally. And that sounds that sounds like the only only way to go. Oh, but yeah, it's always it's always been a fear of mine to even consider starting because 
the immediate feedback wouldn't be there. And that's what I've always been driven for getting. Yeah, it, it, is, it is funny, uh, Rick, that you say that because you're actually right. You won't get that immediate feedback and it won't be like real-time feedback. But the cool part is, is when you think about it, every lesson that you create digitally and you put online and that people buy, once you have composed it, and it really, like what I love about it is it becomes a creative process in and of itself. I actually love composing the lesson and like figuring out and strategizing you know what am i going to put in it to to really get the point across what the people need to know about and really essentially it's it's like directing a movie or something because you know you've got the footage there and you've got the information to back everything up and walk people through it and and i really love that process like for me it's it's challenging and it's super creative and at the end you have this work that you've created this volume of information that you can hand off to other people and and hopefully help them out in, in a big way but and, and the way in which you help them out and the benefits they get and the realizations that they make won't be instant but i think over time you'll actually get even more of a reaction because there's going to be students jumping on every day for essentially forever once the course is out there and they're going to leave their feedback and reviews like i think right now um you know my udemy course on, on proportions has got hundreds of reviews at this point and it's super cool because people leave awesome. these yeah the, these comprehensive like it, accounts of their experience with the course and how it helped them some people don't like it and i'll tell you about it they'll be like you know this wasn't what i was expecting i didn't get what i wanted out of it etc but I think, yeah, it's it's kind of like it all balances out in its own way in the end, whichever way you go about it. And I, I think that the, the one thing that you could say is definitely missing is just that live interaction, which is probably the challenging part of teaching live that I really feel like I need to expose myself to on a constant basis in order to get better at teaching. Yeah. Totally agree with you, man. Yeah. Do both. That's what I love because there's... A, there's a certain, even though how many times you've done it, at least for me, when you get up there in front of students, especially a new class, something like that, there's always this grip of fear in you that like that mm-hmm. that, that that takes you to your drilling start. Every and time. I think that for me, that 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 what's get that's what gets me going, and uh, that's another thing. You, you, I don't think you you really have that in. In the online classes, because you can edit all your mistakes out, you can't do that in a live performance after all. Yeah, if you mess up, if you mess up there, you mess up there. When it's online, you have had spent hours editing, editing it, and perfecting it. Yeah. Oh, not for my course. I think I left some. No, no, I was about to say not for your course. (laughs) Well, and goes into the different ways of teaching because you know, I think uh, whether it's. a teacher that scripts out every point, whether it's in the online or, you know, in, in person and stuff like that. Maybe Clayton, I know Clayton really likes to have things scripted out and planned out and stuff like that. Almost like to the to the point where you, you've written out a lot of the dialogue and stuff like that. Totally, right? man. Yeah. I'm more of the type that I, 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 I'm a bullet point guy, whether I'm in making presentations or whether it's uh, in a classroom setting or whatever. I'm like, listen, uh, these are the things I want to achieve. These are the five major bullets. And I've been here before. I've done it, so I know generally how I'm going to do it. And uh, you know, I don't get stuck. I don't. I 
I don't get all that tongue-tied as I'm getting tongue-tied now. No, you know, <laughs> I, I'm able to really recover usually, right? And so part of that is my enthusiasm just pushes me through it and stuff, right? And uh, so with my lessons, I just say, okay, well, I know these are the major points. This is where I've flubbed up a little bit in the past or this is where students have asked me. So I don't need to script it, but I knew, do need to cover these points, right? And that's what I... That's how I blast through the lessons. Yeah, totally, man. And uh, let me ask you guys, you know, what what have you taken from your experience being taught art and put into your own uh, teaching methods? So, you know, the good and the bad, you know, is there anything <laughs> you learn from your art teachers that you were like, hey, man, like that has stuck with me till this day, right? And I know there's definitely been experiences like that for me with, with certain teachers. You know, it's just been one little thing that they've said. And it changed the course of everything for me. Um, but at the same time, there is certain uh, teachers out there that they, they definitely weren't bad. It's just that they were kind of like, and a lot of art teachers feel more like friends than teachers in a weird way because they're kind of, you know, really laid back and they let you in the art room on the lunch hour and, you know, you kind of hang out in there. It's like the, the, the hangout area of uh, all the nerdy, uh, I guess, you know, introverted people who just want to draw all day. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I learned uh, I learned to not be a depressing Bob Ross. So it, it <laughs> so that taught me to be more active with my students and more alive with them and and make it uh, make thing make sure things were interesting instead of just standing there. Go uh, so uh, yeah, let's paint uh, this happy <laughs> yeah. out. So you actually were, you, you acted like you wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I actually acted like I wanted to be there because he, he'd, he'd rather have have a toast or something at, at the office. But I, I didn't learn. So I basically, I did learn from him by not learning directly from him, if that made sense. Because everything he did, I took and turned around when I started, started, started teaching myself. Everything he did, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Totally. Yeah, sometimes the lessons are what not to do, right? Yeah, big time. Yeah, um, I got to say, that's that's it for me as well, is that, you know, I found that a lot of teachers, um, whether it was art or other things, uh, they spent too much time talking. They spent, you know, if you have like a 50-minute class or something like that, Oftentimes, the teacher felt they wanted to validate themselves by really giving you every theory, every every bit of information, and talk, 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 and stuff. And sometimes it's like uh, you didn't give the chance to the students to draw. You know, like they mm-hmm. they stood in front of the class and just they wanted to expose uh, how much knowledge they had and stuff. And and they paid for it. They they went to university or whatever they did know, but they were just taking too much of that class time away from the student and into the teacher's ego. And so I think that's a little bit different. When it comes to online teaching, you know, um, the student can pause the video or they can take a break or whatever and stuff like that. But in live teaching, I always make sure to give a lot of time to the students to, listen, here's a bit of information. Take a look at it. You know, I'm going to give you guys five, ten minutes to really roll into it and stuff like that. And then I'm going to come back to it. We're going to discuss it. It's not you know, one directional input. It's not me standing uh, regurgitating this and you have to uh, be little birds picking up the, the puke or anything. This is, this is about me giving you a little bit 
and you growing from it and you coming back to me with it. And then it's a back and forth exchange and I guide you with it and stuff like that. But I, I want to make sure that I give the student enough time to be able to, you know, take pieces of it. And in that time that, that I've given them, sometimes I'll walk around the class and I'll say, whether it's art or whichever it is, and say, okay, well, you know, are they heading in the right direction? And then I can give that one-on-one time and stuff like that. But it's, it's really, I, I really dislike the standing at the pulpit type of teaching, the, the, the one-way communication that I'm going to shout down at you and, and, and stand here for an hour lecturing you and stuff. I, I don't like that style, and so I try to avoid it as a teacher. Yeah, totally, man. Couldn't agree more. And uh, for me, I think um, it, it, it is kind of funny because, you know, I was just thinking about some of the funny experiences uh, that I had in university with some teachers. Like, I was recalling this one occasion where one of that, the teachers that we had, he was he was a super cool guy, and, like, we liked him because he he was so laid back about the assignments, so it was kind of like a massive bludge class. But I remember mm-hmm. there, and he was he was the guy who always brought the uh, Nomon workshop tutorials to class and and the cool. digital online stuff, which was super cool, right? And I remember yep. for for his class, we actually our assignment was to build a reference library. But um, I remember there, there would be these times when he would kind of be there at the start of the class, and then he would just leave for like you know a couple <laughs> of hours, and and no oh. one would know where he was. He would just like randomly leave and then, you know, kind of come back eventually and and the class was done by that point. So everyone was ready to, to, to head off. But um, it was just funny experiences like that that really made me uh, make me shake my head, give me a bit of a smile now and, and uh, wonder how on earth um, some of these teachers and I actually. Now, let me ask you, do you think that was a strategy or do you think he was off doing something else that he preferred to do? I, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. What, I, I think he might have been off doing something else. Like maybe he just had stuff to get done. Um, okay. It, it, he was out crapping the smoke and complaining about his students know, with the other teachers. Totally. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, the reason I ask that is because as a teacher, you start to prioritize. You start mm-hmm. to prioritize how you're going to spend your energy and stuff like yep. that, right? Yep. And you've got, okay, I've got this many... Uh, you know, assignments to mark. I've got this much time in the day. Hmm. I've got this and that. So even, for example, handing out worksheets. A new teacher will go around to every student and say, here's, here's your assignment, here's your assignment, here's a... And an experienced teacher will like, stand at the front of class, hand out 30 pages, and say, okay, you guys pass it along. Because you're totally. conserving your energy, right? You know, you're yeah, like, the students can pass those 30, 30 sheets around while I'm going to take this sip of coffee because I need to keep going through this class type of thing, right? Heck and yeah. so, you know, when a teacher steps out of class, like, for example, I'll step away from my students, like art students, for example. I'll, I'll give them the assignment, a little bit of the assignment, and then I'll step away from them. Not because I'm lazy or because I need to check Facebook or anything like that, but because I don't think every art student needs me over their shoulder. Sometimes they perform worse when I do that, right? So I want to give them a little bit of space. I'll go stand off to the corner of the classroom or, or whatever it is. And it might they might be thinking, hey, Ed's a little lazy or what's going on. But really, I'm, I'm taking that 10 minutes and I'm like, listen, these kids need this space because, I'll, you know, I can see it. I can see them get a little bit tense when I'm on them and stuff like that. So yeah, totally. and I don't want that, right? So sometimes teachers have a, a grander strategy 
Yeah. And sometimes they don't. <laughs> so it depends on the teacher. Definitely. I wish my I wish my teacher went outside a little more. Yeah. The one I had. Right. Yeah. Right. And, sometimes that's a good thing, right? Yeah. You, you you need those breaks in between to kind of break up the information and stuff, and and have time to breathe and absorb what's just been learned. But I mean, I, I guess the thing that that I did learn and, and take away from from certain teachers were. Speaking of digital courses, I actually had a couple which went through the process of delivering information in a in a way which, you know, was super effective. And mm-hmm. um, man, I learned so many cool things from that that I use all the time now. And I'll give you two of the highlights that okay. really really changed the way that I deliver information. As or a you can send me that that course for free if you want. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. But really, um, there was there's a couple of frameworks, right? And and one of the coolest ones that really stuck with me was the why, what, how, and what if framework. And if you hang your information on those categories, what tends to happen is you capture all the students who are motivated by knowing why something needs to be learned. Okay, yeah. you know why why does this thing need to happen in the way that it does how did it come about and then you've got the what people who need to know you know what it is and and they just want to know like they're going to read read through the manual and they're going to figure like they're the kind of person who would read through the um you know those books you used to be able to get it was kind of like a star wars information guide it detailed out all the right right the catalogs and yeah 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 encyclopedias type encyclopedias right and you know they're more for like the what people like they want to know about you know the information and, and the topics that are going to be covered yeah. In order for them to, to really, you know, have something to look forward to, something to learn about. And then you've got the how people. And I realize I'm a big how learner. Like, I want to know how something works. And I'm a close second on the why because, you know, I want to know. Like, I'm often, <laughs> I'm often trying to figure out why things are the way they are. Like, if someone tells me something, I want to – almost my immediate response is going to be, well, why is it that way? Um, because yep. I, don't, I don't just like taking on board things because they're told to me in a certain way. Um, but yep. yeah, you, you know, you've got the how, and the how is great. And I remember I used to go through tutorials on how to build uh, custom levels for, like, you know, <laughs> different video games. And mm-hmm. I, I would print out these giant information sheets, and I would follow them exactly, and I knew that if I followed them, I'd get the result. I didn't really care about, you know, the uh, the why it worked. I just cared about going through these and... And hopefully if the instructions were written correctly and told me exactly how to do it, I'd achieve a certain result. And I think, you know, especially when you take this back to comic book art and you see artists whom you admire doing certain things in certain ways to get a particular look, it's like the, the big questions that you ask is, you know, why are they doing that? What the hell right. are they doing? And how are they doing it? Yeah. And what happens yeah. when I apply that? When when I know all of that other stuff, all that other information, what kind of result am I going to get at the end? And that's the what if people, you know, they really need to see what happens when they apply to the information. And they're more doing people, right? So they're going to get, yep. jump straight into it. And even if they don't have all the information they need, they just want to see what's going to happen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop you for a quick second because I just had a kind of epiphany there. And this is why I get so frustrated sometimes when I watch really good artists doing their stuff is that I'm a why person and they yeah, do the too. how 
and they don't explain the why. They're just like, okay, do 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 do. This is how I uh, shade, and this is how I render metal. And I'm like, okay, I can follow you, but I'm not understanding the why you're doing it because I want to take that why and apply it to the next figure, or apply it to the next shape, or apply it to the next object, or whatever. Exactly. And because totally. you skip the why, I don't get the lesson. I can I can copy you, and I get that but I'm totally missing out on the bigger picture here. So I love Jim Lee. I love these guys watching them and stuff, but almost always they go to the how and skip the why. Totally, man. Exactly. I'm like Ed, Ed on this. I'm a why person as well. I want to know why it works and why, <clears throat> and why this, this should work almost wherever you put it into, into action. Yeah, totally. Like, like gliding and shadowing different things because it's the same basics no matter what uh, if it's metal or if it's dirt after all and you just get taught the what on each individual each individual in material instead of the why it works on every material yeah totally. right so you know i'm gonna bring up a little thing from when i was in high school I remember I missed uh, a couple months of, like, let's say six weeks of grade 11 or something. I had mono, mononucleosis, right? And uh, so I missed a lot of class, and I sat down for uh, the provincial tests. And I remember the, the teacher said, Ed, don't worry about it. You know, we know you've been missing, you missed lots of school. So just, you're sitting in class, so you got to write it anyways. But, you know, don't worry about the grade or anything like that. And I was able to write that test simply on the why. Like, as awesome. in, like, I could understand, you know, okay, I, I remember it was the Falkland Islands War, and it was about, uh, you know, the UK, and I was like, okay, well, why would they, I don't know anything about the Falkland Islands War, but I knew the kind of time frame, the UK was losing its empire, you know, it's, it's trying to hold on to little bits and pieces, and, you know, just by going off of that those little bits i could extrapolate and say okay well why would england do this why would this and and i ended up getting one of the highest scores in the province on it and stuff like that just by so i you know like when when i see jim lee rendering hmm. you know colossus metal I, I, yeah i love it but if if he could say okay this is why we render with with the the shine on this side and, and all that yeah. if you teach me the why then i can apply it everywhere then i could take it to every metal piece that i'm working on and stuff like that totally. and i don't need to know how necessarily if you teach me the why i figure out the how yeah i think the why i think the why is for the more analytical rather than the i don't know I don't what know. I will, what you can put the how as because as an analytical individual you want you want to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it after all, mm. more so than just doing it, and then afterwards begin to understand it. You want to understand it while you're doing it instead of... Totally. Yeah. That, that That's where that framework is is so effective. And actually, Ed, you probably notice as well, or and Rick, if you've gone through the proportions course, especially that mm -hmm. first video, it, it, it basically follows that model to the t so you know in the beginning you've got like all the characters that are out of whack right showing you yep. how proportions and and knowing what proportions are will actually affect the look of your characters and you know yep. the, it's the very reason as to why your characters may not look the way that you want them to look 
because of the skeleton. It's not sized up. It's not scaled up correctly. And then it goes into the what proportions are, and then you know here's exactly how to measure up your characters, right? And I try to. It, it helps me to actually write my courses. So when I'm sitting there and I'm trying to think about, well, how do I s describe the way that the physics of cloth works, for example, right? Well, I'll ask myself, well, why does it work in the way that it does? And, yes. you know, what's actually happening when yep. it does fold and crease in certain ways? What is that? Yep. And then, yep. you know, how do you actually create it, that effect within your own work? So it's super cool. Um, yep. And, and totally the last good. one that I'll quickly say, which, which I just got to mention, because it is so effective when it comes to teaching and, uh, and getting students to really buy into what you're saying, is the use of metaphor and analogy. And the reason that that works so well is because when you're just giving information verbatim and, and laying it out how it is, it's sometimes hard to connect with, right? Like it's hard to yep. associate with that information. And so that's why a lot of the time you get students kind of tuning out, right? They, and mm -hmm. they won't really learn anything. But if you can take something that they already understand, two th a couple of things that they already understand and then combine it in a way that's new, in order to teach them and give them a new realization, that's the most effective way to do it. And that's through metaphor. That's why it works so well. So you might say, um, I can tell you one actually that I just used in the superheroines course, right? I'm talking yeah. about inking a, a, a smooth line, for example. And I use the analogy of an airplane, right? And, and, and a flight path. And how you want sure. to try to get that that plane to fly along a nice smooth path. You want to keep the destination in mind as you go. And there's going to be a little bit of turbulence from time to time and the ride will be a little bit rough. So rough that you might have to go back and start again. But you will be able to take back off, right? And and just those visuals kind of allow you to make help it make more sense in a way to the student. Because they know what a plane is and they know what a flight path is. And now you're associating that to what it is you're trying to actually teach them and you know they get it it also puts them into a little bit of a trance because it's kind of in a good way because it, <laughs> it allows them to put some kind of visualization to the information that you're giving them it's like a story you know someone starts telling you a story immediately you start visualizing what's happening within that story it's a very powerful yep. way to teach totally agree with you the only caution i'm going to throw out there is I, you know, I think your age group is a university right now, right? That you're yeah, teaching totally. personally, right? Um, and online, we don't know. There's a massive spectrum of age groups and stuff. But uh, recently, I was teaching these high school kids, and high school kids are dangerous, man, because as soon as you drop, uh, you know, a comparison, analogy, metaphor, or anything that's dated, yeah. they butcher you on it, and <laughs> they come at you. <laughs> so you know, like if I'm like, oh, it's just like this movie, and they're like, man. What are you talking about? You know, like it's just like it's just too dated for them. So know know your students a little bit because yeah, especially it. when it comes to high school kids and stuff, they'll call you on it. They'll like, man, that's old. Nobody does that anymore or anything like that, right? Absolutely, so you, man, you got to know your got to know the students. <laughs> so you know, you know, this old man yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm, exactly. And we're you know we're I'm 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 getting there. I'm getting older and stuff. So I've got to got to stay cool with the kids, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's Fortnite. Yeah. Everything's Fortnite right now. Totally. Watch some more Netflix. 
that's exactly that's my homework that's what i try to tell my <laughs> wife i'm like listen i'm i'm, I'm keeping up i gotta I'm watch more research movies here, here. <laughs> yeah, this is all i'm easier. not crazy i'm doing research <laughs> yeah right i i don't know if she she believes me though big time big time <laughs> well look I, I don't think we can end this episode without uh giving stan lee a little bit of a mention and the impact that he's had on all of our lives as a, a teacher as an influencer and you know i remember uh, looking, at, I remember watching the. I only got the. I don't think I was old enough to really watch them when they were airing on TV. But I remember the lessons that he would host in his TV show, where he would invite artists like Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee on to actually demonstrate the way in which they produce their comic book art. And I think one of the things that you can say about Stan Lee, and, and one of the big observations that I made and, and respect him most for is his ability to create rapport with other people and yes. his, his very warm nature, the way that he conducts himself as a person. You know, there's so many people in the world that, you know, they have these intentions of malice and these these ulterior motives or, you know, they're always they're comparing themselves to you in some way. They've got some, some sort of ego about them. And I'm sure Stan Lee had had some kind of ego, but it was a very healthy, childlike one. And you could always see that sparkle in his eyes, I think. But, um, you know, I, I can imagine that if I were to have met the man, that it would have been a very warming experience. You know, it would have felt like you were, you were just having, having a chat with family, for example. I was always told by people that have met him that that the normal feeling you get when you when you're going to meet someone that you you really look up to, like you feel like okay, I'm here to visit him and talk to to him and learn and just being off. Stanley had this master ability to just talk that off within within minutes, and it started feeling like two friends coming together and talking about what they love which which in this uh, yeah. this case usually is comics and superheroes yeah. and stan has a, he's always seen childish in his in his way of talking his, his excitement about things and that's amazing even when even at the age of 90 he had that childish amazement yeah. that smile in, never in, the went way, away. In, in the way he talked about it, everything was like every time he talked comics in interviews and and just, it felt like he, he was like this boy that had just that had just found comics. You know, the excitement he brought was like, wow! I remember being that excited for comics when I was younger. And I I took that not only into my my love for comics, but in general life, I, I pulled that in and taught myself. I I need I I shouldn't hide hide the things I'm excited about in life. And I think if something uh, Stan Lee has taught me, it's, it's not been directly comic, it's been the idea of allowing yourself to be excited about what you're excited about and not hide it. Totally. Yeah, you know, Stan Lee is... Uh, it's funny because we're talking about teachers and particularly art teachers, and uh, Stan Lee wasn't the greatest art... art artist around you know i think he did some a, a little couple promotional posters and stuff but that's that wasn't what his his forte was right mm. but uh 
he sure did inspire so many artists. He inspired uh, generations to, to get into comic books, to get into art, to get into storytelling. Um, and he, uh, you know, wove himself into the fabric of Marvel. Yeah. That he became uh, a part of Marvel, a character in a way. You know, his everything from Stan's soapbox. Like, I remember reading Marvel comics in the 70s and stuff and into the 80s and and as soon as God. I got to hear Stan's voice, uh, you know, I remember greetings, true believers, you know, like him coming on in, in the yeah. introducing the, the some of the cartoons and stuff like that. As soon as I heard his voice, I read every single one of his soapboxes in his voice. You know, he was so powerful and stuff as a storyteller and everything. Um, you know, Stan was awesome. He, he showed us that, uh, you know, he, he could take a stand on certain issues and stuff like that. And uh you know it's just there's so much bound up in his memory and stuff i, I guess my biggest takeaway is same as your guys is the passion that he brought to his projects uh no matter what age he was he 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 gave us enthusiasm and stuff in all of it and everything um he took funny obscure little characters and made you love them and everything and totally. if, if i could do if i could do half of what he did in that uh you know it'd be amazing yeah, yeah. He, Stan Lee is definitely one of our biggest teachers and mentor and for not even being an artist. You know, how many people bought that How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way by Stan Lee? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. How, how does that even work? Totally. That he was teaching us to draw because he was a conductor. He was a, a creator. He was uh, a symphony major that he would pull artists and directors yeah. and, uh, you know, and pull that storyboard and say, this is what we need to do. You know, we need to have pow, we need to have zing, you know, like, and he yep. would conduct that and stuff. And that's the lesson, right? And that's the takeaway. Yeah, big time, man. 100%. It's amazing just the amount of influence his characters had. And I, I think that that was something that I really started to ponder when uh, he did pass away. And it made me look at the own, my own characters and the kind of stories that I want to tell. And I wondered whether or not I'd ever be able to tell stories about characters that would have as much of an impact as those of Stan Lee. You know, they're, they're part of our culture. They're part of who we are as a society in a way. Uh, you know, the yeah. superhero, um, Captain Captain America and Spider-Man and, you know, um, these are the characters that we kind of all look up to and wish that we were. We... we we see their superpowers and their abilities and we look at the things that they that they do with all that power and it's it's the the ideal of goodness you know it's yeah hopefully what we would all do had if we had the exact same power and i think that that can definitely be said for stan lee is that he used his power of influence in a positive way at the end of the day and he lived a long full life where and I think part of that was the amount of passion that he had for doing that, you know. And yeah. it, it was a, it, it was contagious, you know. If he he was in a room, even as an old dude, he would talk oh, with yeah. such enthusiasm that it just encapsulated you. And he was yeah. like, and his humor also to his latest days was like still some of the best. He was so always funny, always ready with a singer, always ready with a joke, yeah. but. 
what I loved mostly about uh, his uh, creations was his ability to make godlike people feel human because of he always like Jim Sub in a recent interview after Stanley's passing. Jim Sub, one of the head writers of Marvel, is was in a, was a, in a radio interview where he, uh, where Jim said the fantastic thing about Stanley was his ability to give these godlike superhero creations human flaws to make them feel human so it would be easier for the readers to relate to them like spider-man had his school uh, school problems the hulk uh, the hulk was fighting (laughs) anger management inner demons yeah inner demons and and so forth and the fantastic four had their family issues tensions it all Mm. everything was so simple and relatable until they put on their uh, capes and their masks, and then suddenly they were godlike creatures. And totally. you you can find yourself forgetting that in the moments where where they did wear them and was like they just like us. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever been said in these podcasts, but I think I've made it pretty clear online that I'm a Marvel guy. You know, I don't <laughs> really enjoy DC, and that's because I always thought DC was too perfect gotham was too dark uh, metropolis was too bright uh, clark kent and superman were too perfect everything was yeah. perfect 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 within their own little universes right whereas yeah. and i felt that uh marvel in so many ways re- reached out to the real world and stuff you know they they took on real world uh issues whether it was x-men and the prejudice that was wrapped mm. it was wrapped up in uh whether it was tony stark and his addictions yeah. um you know, and it's not just that, even like the Marvel bullpen and the Stan soapbox, he reached out every issue to people and stuff like that, like the mighty Marvel marchers and stuff like these fan <laughs> clubs and everything. Stan Lee and Marvel was always reaching out to the community and saying, we're part of this world. We, we, we know you. you yeah. You're in our stories. Like we're, we're, we're writing to the geeky guy that's getting slammed up against the locker. That's you. That's Peter Parker. That's 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 you who's picking up this issue and stuff, right? And that's why I could relate to Marvel so much more and Stan Lee as, you know, as a mentor and stuff. So whenever I'm creating, I'm kind of thinking of him or Kirby or anybody like, no, put put that punch out there. You know, don't don't just half it. You know, really extend it. You know, like and do that with your character too. Don't just kind of partially create that character. Really push the proportions. Push it out there. Push, push, push. And yeah, I, I keep thinking of them as creators, kind of just perched on my shoulder and hopefully nudging me. Totally, man. One hundred percent. Well, it's been one heck of a podcast, guys. I've really enjoyed this one. Teaching is something that I'm super passionate about. Art is super passionate and uh well i'm super passionate about art and um yeah i mean when you combine the two and you look at the the i think the value that we offer to our fellow artists out there through the stuff that we teach it's really one of the most rewarding things that i think i i can do with my skill set and i love i love the i i love making comic books and, and producing artwork and that kind of thing but when i can get that extra mileage out of it and help somebody to do the same thing, then man, that's that's a good day for me. I agree. I agree totally. Um, well, yeah. in saying that, um, Ed, you've got your course, uh, How to Draw Comics Anatomy, and 
of course, there's the proportions course, both available yep. on the howtodrawcomics.net store, which you can check out at www.howtodrawcomics.net slash store, I believe. It is, yeah, actually. That's it. Yep, you yep. got it right. Yep. Nice, yep. nice. Well, I try to keep the URLs up. easy to remember. <laughs> just a quick little note. Uh, I loaded it up just under two weeks ago, and I've already got 100 students. So I hit 100 students in under two weeks, and I'm really happy about that. It's The reviews are coming in, starting to trickle in, and they're really, really good. So, yeah, thanks for helping me with that, That's... Clay. It's, you know, it's, it's a success, man. Uh, the reviews are good. The class is good. Uh, everything's just rolling positive. I'm still stuck on the garlic cloth, though. But... <laughs> the garlic cloth. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> Clayton has, like, you know, uh, he's giving examples of jets screaming across the sky and having, you know, jet streams and everything, and I use garlic. Totally. I'm all about the food. It's all about the metaphors, <laughs> right? That's, yeah, right. That's awesome, man. And, yeah, really big congratulations to you, Ed. I'm, I'm glad that it worked out. I kind of, you know, had an inkling that it might. You know, you, you seem to have a knack for teaching and explaining things in an understandable way. And that garlic clove, I was impressed when I saw that. I was yeah. like, holy, <laughs> wow, you know what? The shoulders of the arm kind of are like a garlic clove, if you look at the they anatomy. They kind of are, man. Um, are. <laughs> so, you know, I love that, and I'm a big fan of that style of teaching. So, And, you know, all the feedback that I've seen on this and the people that have bought it, they've been excited about buying it, and they've been pumped to get into it, so... Yeah, uh, I'm sh super happy for you, bro. Thanks, man. And, you know, I, I like that you use the word pumped because it reminded me of Arnold. You know, we have to pump you up. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah, right? totally. You know? So it makes me think of muscles, man. Good, Absolutely. Good and, uh, <laughs> you know, eventually, Rick, we're going to get you to go digital and, and hopefully share some of your neat tips with the world. I just need to get my fears out of the way. <laughs> and at least if, if I can teach anybody anything, it's how not to be a depressed Bob Ross. Totally. That's if you could, you know. Actually, I think if you bundled that as a lesson, how not to be a depressed Bob Ross. I, I really, you know, it would be almost Deadpool esque and stuff. I think people would dig it. Absolutely, it'd be a total hit. <laughs> well, you can't do a you can't do a tutorial about passion after all. That's yeah. Oh I, yes, I, you can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to see a tutorial about passion and stuff. Like, I think there's there's a lot to be said on that. Yeah, big time. I mean, you got to have yep. the passion, right, in order to get good. For sure, for sure. But um, don't be a, don't be a depressed Bob Ross. Be passionate. Don't be a depressed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And uh, I think that is the perfect note to end this episode, guys. Thanks so much for being with us, my my trusty co-hosts Ed and Rick, and to the listeners out there who has stuck with us along the way. Thank you so much for listening and and being here with us. It's been absolutely awesome, and we hope that you got a ton of great value out of this. Until next time, keep on creating. <laughs>